morning and welcome to Football Bloody Hell. show tonight we've got the captain of Yeovertown standing in for Luke Wilkinson it's Mr Josh Staunton and Ricky Hyatt's here Hilda no less always Hilda and me and we're very, very lucky to also have with us tonight my good friend, Mr. Paul Warren, the manager of Rotherham United. Oh, where's the music gone? And welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Uh, good evening to you, live here uh, on Three Valleys Radio, coming to you on Wednesday evening. Or if you'd listen to the podcast, you can get it whenever you like, as soon as this has been uh, updated onto the social. So our guests this evening... Uh, is Mr. A.D. Hopper. A.D., good evening. Hello. <laughs> Rick Hyatt's here as well, which might surprise you all. Uh, yeah, I've come out of hiding. Hello. Uh, and uh, Josh Staunton, who's uh, a regular guest these days. Welcome, Josh. Hi, uh, chat you up. Yeah, good, mate. And making his second appearance on Football Bloody Hell, I make it, is uh, Rotherham United manager Paul Warren. Paul, good evening. Good evening, good evening from up north. What's weather so, like up north, lad? We... <laughs> Snowing, so... freezing. <laughs> well, OK, so what is there to talk about first? Well, unfortunately, guys, uh, for some of you, there is only one place to start. <laughs> And that is uh, Old Trafford on Sunday, where it finished Manchester United nil, Liverpool 5. Before I come on to the Manchester United perspective, because I'm sure that they, what the boys want to get into uh, where it went wrong and where sort of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer goes from here, um, I want to also talk about Liverpool's perspective, where that leaves them in the, the title charge and just how big a statement it was uh, for them. Uh, in that particular match. Um, Paul, remind me, are you a red side of Merseyside? Have I got that right or am I wrong? I am. Uh, I'm a bit of a... I've got a soft spot for Man United, I have. That is for sure. OK, so what was your uh, reflection of, of, of what you saw? Did you watch the entire match? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, well, I think it, I don't think it'll be very dissimilar to anybody else on here. I just... It was hard to uh, decipher what Man United were trying to do, in my opinion, out of possession. It was the out of possession stuff that I really struggled with. Um, and I couldn't decide if they were trying to press or not press. And even if they did press, they were nowhere near it. And if they didn't get there, the recovery runs were poor. Uh, it just looked like, well, they were just substandard against a very, very good Liverpool team. Liverpool looked far more up for the game. It looked... 
I don't know, it just looked like, for whatever reason, Manchester United looked a bit hampered. That's probably the nicest way I can put it. Would you say it's a combination of Manchester United not turning up and Liverpool uh, turning up? Was it a combination of the two? Yeah, probably. I mean, Liverpool had a really good day, but did they have a good day because Manchester United had a bad day or did Manchester United have a, a bad day just because Liverpool was so good? But just the, 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 way they, the, way they, the way Manchester United played, it just left themselves open all over the pitch, really, which is not like them, especially at Old Trafford. So it was a pretty monumental performance from Liverpool at Old Trafford. Um, and there wasn't many positives to come out of the performance for them. Uh, truth be told and like I thought you know I'm Ronaldo's not biggest fan but one up there but Ronaldo's some player and when he signed I thought it's either going to be the making or breaking of him and they can't do a high press with Ronaldo in the team in the same way Chelsea can't do a high press with Lukaku in the team it's all about the players you have so Manchester United may were really successful last year in terms of in recent years by having a low block and then playing on the counter-attack whereas whether the whole whole event, the whole local derby passion made United players go a bit off script and, and they just got picked off. That's that's how I see it. Now, if that becomes a trend, then there's a problem. But whether it was just a, a really bad day at the office, I, we, we'll wait to see. It's already a trend, mate. Yeah, I know, but they haven't put Advent 5 past them. But you're right, it has been a bit of a trend. I agree. And... Um, Josh, did you watch the game on Sunday, um, and would you agree with what Paul Paul's assessment yeah. is on that? Yeah, definitely. I think I think when the we, we spoke about that, I thought with a few of the boys, and we were saying like United's pressing and, and off the ball, like Fernandez's work was was dreadful, really. And uh, it was it was a warning Skulls had given the week, hadn't he? I think after the Atlanta game, he he mentioned that if they played like that against the Liverpool and Man City, they'd be three or four nil at half time, and it was exactly turned out to be exactly the case I don't think you can get away with that that sort of performance off the ball regularly and it seems to be, it should be creeping in a bit at the moment So um, AD Rick which one of you want to go first then and from how you felt from your perspective and how much of a um, how much of a pickup is this going to take not only for yourselves but for, for Manchester United going forward from here and in particular Ollie. Well, really I don't think anyone's first. particularly interested in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd just like to take this opportunity on this forum to point out to anybody that knows me on Facebook or Twitter or whatever that I didn't actually play. So uh, you're wasting your time having a go at me about the result because uh, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't playing. Although you'd think I was the amount of stick I got. But it's, uh, I don't know, it is. Scolzi did pick it out. And it's been like this for for weeks. And United shouldn't go anywhere near a press <coughs> at the moment. Not with the not with the players they've got, if they're going to get the best out of them. Unless you've got two guys that has been repeatedly said over the weekend, if you're going to play Ronaldo, it's been pointed out over and over that he was successful last time because he had uh, Wayne Rooney, Carlos Tevez and Jason Park that he was running. There's nobody in that side who's prepared to put that you sort of yardage in for somebody else's benefit. So that's a thing. But then the the thing with United that I've I found because it's been it has been pants for about the last seven games is you get to a situation where Ollie stabilizes the club, they finish second, albeit a distant second, 
And then you add three world-class players to that team and get worse. So it's not really been thought through properly as to what anyone was going to what those players just, were going to bring. Just on that, Rick, because at the start of the season, yeah. when we all spoke on this podcast about who was likely to be in the title mix, etc., and Liverpool weren't really spoken about purely on the basis that they didn't bring anybody in. Did yesterday prove to people who might not have necessarily had that line of thinking to begin with that you don't need to go out and get the flashy signings, the £80 million players through the door to improve on what you've already done the previous year? It doesn't matter whether it's an £80 million signing or an £8 signing. If, it, if it's the right player then it's, it's whatever the fee is necessary to do it. And once they got the centre-backs fit, it doesn't look like Liverpool actually needed an awful lot adding to that um, adding to that side. It's just a case of getting everyone fit. Because in, in fairness, man for man, I mean, I know people go on about it, but I think Liverpool is a team. But individually, I think United have got probably got the better players. You take Salah out of that Liverpool side. I can't wait for January. January's going to be interesting and good. And football might be worth watching again during the African Cup of Nations. Yeah, I'm not until, looking forward to it. <laughs> because the thing is, if, if you take that world-famous midfielder, Mo Salah, out of the uh, Liverpool team, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, it'd be a different different thing. But United didn't turn out. It was embarrassing. It really was embarrassing. Once Fernandes had had that opportunity in the first, first sort of five minutes, that was chasing the towers after that. And something's wrong. AD, have you got much to have you got much to add to what uh, Rick's assessment was of the game? Did you manage to get out of bed okay this morning? No, I didn't, and I'm still very fragile. Uh, <laughs> what have I got to say to add to it? Well, um, I wonder, perhaps, had Fernandez scored with that early chance, whether the whether it might have been different. I, I, I doubt it, but it, it does just cross your mind as to perhaps it might have put Liverpool off the guard a little bit and just perhaps we might have started better. But having said that, he didn't score, so it's academic, really. Um, where do we go from here? God knows. Um, I don't... I, I'm kind of drawn on the Oli Goddard I mean, I... Having met the guy, as I've said often before, he's a lovely bloke. He really is a nice guy. And, um, you know, I think he's been trying hard, but there do appear to be certain instances where you look at him and you think, Ollie, this is too big for you. And sometimes his response to questions and what have you is, uh, he's too, too much Mr. Nice Guy, I suspect. And um, some of those players need more than just a bit of a telling off they need a rocket up their rear end because some of them are they're just not trying at the moment I don't think and um, you know it's it's annoying when you look at Varane who we bought as a, a top class World Cup winning fullback and uh, he hasn't played for us for I don't know three or four games now whatever it is of which we've been terrible and how did he get injured playing for bloody France that's how he got injured not playing for United which I find extremely over again, mm, fr- extremely frustrating. Over again. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. So, on the, on that that annoys me. But um, I I think that uh, there was a thing. Uh, apparently, the club refused to answer any direct questions to the Manchester Evening News this evening um, with regard to Ollie's future, which I think is a bad sign. So I I suspect that. Um, 
that it could well be cheerio time for Ollie, which is a great pity, I think, really. But uh, And then, of course, then comes the problem of who are you going to get in to replace him? And I, I can't see anybody yeah. in particular that sort of grabs my fancy at the moment. So I don't know what you guys think, but... Um, yeah. Well, that's always the uh, that's always the um, issue, isn't it? When you've got this kind of uh, situation, and sometimes you see uh, people from within the club that take the reins for a couple of months and then see how it goes. Quite similar, I guess, to how Ollie uh, got the reins in the first place. Um, Paul Warren, are you happy to um, declare on local radio that you're interested in the Manchester United vacancy? Should there be one? Imagine that job. Wow. I mean, obviously, but it's the it's the commute. It's just too far for me. Manchester's <laughs> right across the tops. It's just it's just too far. I mean, in fairness, I'm, I'm looking as we're talking and we're, we're saying about Manchester United's team, and on paper, very good. And I know it sounds a bit cliche here, but teams don't play on paper. But Liverpool have got some outstanding players: uh, Robertson, Alexander Arnold, Van Dijk. I mean, they are class, and they have played together for a year. And I think Man United finished in second last year. I don't know how much of it was down to Man United and how much of it was down to other clubs underperforming. Whereas I think this year, if the the Chelsea's and the Liverpool's get back to their best, I think Man United are in trouble. But there is something to be said for Salah. I just want to make this point before I forget that he is so good. I had a discussion with my staff today saying, right, how much would it cost to replace Salah in today's market? So it might cost, I don't know, 150, 200 million for him, realistically, I think. And if he runs out, if he runs his contract out, how much would you be prepared to pay to keep him? So he could be the first million pound a week player, him. I know it sounds ridiculous to say, but if over four years you give him 50 million a year for four years, um, I can see something absolute lunacy like that happening because you, you try and replace a player like that you're in trouble and Liverpool are very good and you're only as good as the top end of the pitch quite obviously but Salah is uh, head and shoulders above anybody else in, in European football at the moment in my opinion I could be completely wrong but in regards to um, United I just don't feel that there's, they've got in my, again in my opinion enough pace and drive in in their midfield I just don't see it and if you listen to Gary Neville after any game, I think him and Scholes are the ones that talk the most sense and the ones that know the game enough. And um, what Gary was saying last night after the game uh, really resonated with me in the fact that he said, you know, they don't try and win the ball back. They're not winners. They've got no leaders. And even when they were losing at 2-3-0, you'd expect uh, Maguire or someone to step up and grab him. And just sort of say, look, we can't concede any more before half time, and that's that's my biggest issue with United. I just don't. They've got the talent, but again, they haven't got the team. They haven't got the chemistry just right yet, and um, it could be a, a worrying few weeks ahead. I wanted to touch on the recruitment side of things because I say well, a lot has been said about who they managed to bring in um, in the summer and the business that they've done over the last two three years. Um, Josh, this season, obviously, they brought in Sancho and they've been... I was talking to AD off-air about this, that Sancho isn't someone that they've just bought on a whim. They've been chasing him for a good two years or so now. Yeah. And it seems yeah. more and more clear now that the Ronaldo signing has put the plans as to what Sancho was brought in to do to start with have definitely changed. And to a lesser extent, possibly 
at Van der Beek when they got him the year before and there was an opportunity to buy him and then they tried to kind of see if they could fit him into the system afterwards. Yeah. Um, is that a huge problem with, for United? Um, I think we, I think I remember saying on here. I think we we discussed that like Ronaldo might throw the balance off, didn't we, of the team, and what they had built in the last two years might go up in smoke, really, just because of the the. I think they had a nice, they had a better balance of their team than they probably show now, and I think it's like, I think the thing is, a lot of the players probably play like that playground school football where they just give it to Ronaldo when there might even be a better option on, and. The intimidation factor of playing like with someone like that must be must be massive. I know you've, you've got to believe in yourself and you're playing for Man United, but there's no way that doesn't have some sort of pull, and they'll be looking at they'll be constantly looking at him for reassurance. And when times get hard, they'll be looking at Ronaldo. But I think definitely, I think it's probably pushed Sancho further back than he wanted would have liked to have been at the beginning of the season. And Greenwood's done all right, hasn't he? But I think. When you sign massive, massive players like that, it does it can upset the balance in the squad and just, especially because it's 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 gone against what they were building, really, isn't it? That that Ronaldo signing of like the more young players and and the I don't know. I think it's definitely it's hard. The recruitment it's, recruitment is very hard. I'm sure Paul will tell you that. But and when a player like Ronaldo comes on, you can't turn him down. So six and two threes, really. I think the players have got. To, You've still got to try and earn your shirt, haven't you? That every day you've got a chance to prove to the manager that you, you're good enough to play. And I don't think excuses of people signing ahead that you should really should really stand in your way. Do you think though? Hey, do, you agree with that? Do, you, do you think they're looking at it? Um, if you look to when half time came, I think the first person he took off was Greenwood, and to me. At the moment, as things stand at the moment, Greenwood is probably the, apart from Ronaldo, maybe the two together, the most likely to score a goal. And yet he took him off. And at that point, we were four 0 down. So even if there was a, a remote chance, he'd, he'd take him off. So by then he'd given up the game, which to me was was you know not good enough. You can't give up the game even if you are four 0 down. You keep trying. This is Man United we're talking about here, not Liverpool. Not rubbish like that, you know. <laughs> I suppose it was damaging. Quite the statement, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but joking aside, I, uh, I just didn't think it was a good move. I disagree. I, I don't think Greenwood gives you anything out of possession at all. I think he's a disgrace, truth be told. Disgrace Ooh. is a bit harsh, but I think he's a really good finisher, really good goal scorer. The game was virtually up at half time, so. Are you going to score four goals? Possibly not. I, I can't believe Sancho don't play. That's my big issue. Sancho has played in a pressing, high-pressing German team. And then if you want to play high-pressing, it, it doesn't make sense to me that he isn't playing. Whether there's something gone on that we aren't, people don't know or there's been a fallout or he isn't a player they thought they signed. But in regards to you saying, uh, Dave, about um, for two years they've tried to sign him. So they've brought him in and now he's not playing. I find that surreal and I think if you play with a three up front system or you know Ronaldo and two off him or three off him they've all got a, they've all got a run even more so if you've got Ronaldo playing if Ronaldo isn't playing it's a different striker then fair enough but if Ronaldo's playing the Greenwoods and that have got to contribute more out of possession of the ball that's what I think anyway Rick what's your thoughts on that 
as far as Greenwood goes, you keep Greenwood on. I totally agree with what Paul said about him as far as the team shape goes, but you bring him on because at the moment, you look at the, the goals he scored this season, the majority of them have been absolute worldies because he'll do something out of nothing. But as far as the team shape goes, doesn't do an awful lot. And moving forward, United's next game is Spurs because they managed to get knocked out of the Carabao Cup as well. So there's no midweek fixture this week. The first, if I was managing United, God help them, the first two names on team sheet would be Sancho and Van der Beek because it's something different. Those you can't, if you do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Yeah, you're insane. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So something different. Throw a curveball into the mix. And also, the the thing that, I mean, I'm not that old, but the constant faffing about with football manager style tactics is I don't, it's counterproductive. I think United have always been a 4-4-2 team. And without wanting to be Burnley, if you've got Cavani and Ronaldo, stick the two of them up front and work a 4-4-2 around that. And how many crosses? Ronaldo, since you're not, Ronaldo came in, oh, everyone's on about his hang timing, he's the greatest header of all. How many crosses have United actually put in? Uh, the, t- the goal he scored in midweek against Atalanta. But other than that, that's the only header goal he scored. And he had, I don't think he's had an awful lot of headed opportunities. So why not play to the guy's strength? I mean, I would definitely agree that crosses are keen, 100%. I just don't... My view is that in the Premier League, so many three midfielders that I think a 3-5-2 would suit United. I do. Uh, You'd have to have athleticism out wide, but you definitely need crosses in. And I do agree with Greenwood's goals, by the way. Unbelievable, as with Ronaldo's. However, you're carrying two non that's what I think you already started with just nine players who are going to run around then you throw in the you know a couple of them midfielders and if Pogba fancies it then all of a sudden you look a bit of a wishy-washy United side so I agree with you put Van der Beek in and put um, my German mate in not German mate but uh, Sancho in because you've given them a chance and you're looking at it now and they're Man United we're not talking about Walsall in you know mid-table League 2 or something no disrespect talk about Man United they should be going into every game dominating or at least trying to um, and I just don't think at the moment it's it's not working, is it? Simple as that. Mm. But he's got the players, isn't he? If you look at the squad, he's probably got too many players in all due respect. That's it, yeah. There's too many. And Ronaldo was probably the tip, the tip over. Um, I, I think it's just caused him problems now that for any manager would be a troublesome one. But for... You know, Ollie, he's a United legend. I don't want to say that often, but it probably needs someone with a new set of fresh eyes who um, who has got more life experience is possibly the nicest way to put it because it is tough to manage and it is tough to manage that group of egos with that demand. And I just don't think there's something just not right. Well, obviously, there's something not right. They're not winning. But why, why was... I don't understand why back in the day, back a long time ago, when... Ollie got the contract, got the gig originally. Why on earth they had to change from what the original plan was? He was going to come in at Christmas, see United through the season, give them plenty of time to research and find the appropriate manager. And everybody got giddy because he had an amazing start and then went with that. I mean, I love Ollie the bits and the culture he's restored at United is amazing. That's Nobody can take that away from him. And the dead wood he's cleared out is needed doing. Somebody had to do it. But as a match manager, someone who's running the game on the day. I just don't think yeah. he's... Yeah. Move them upstairs, make him sporting director, 
keep him doing what he's been doing, keeping the culture of the club, looking at he's got a good eye for a player, get him on that side of things and bring in somebody who can run just who has no responsibility other than that 11 on a match day and let Ollie deal with all the other stuff because he's clearly good at it. And all he's doing is he's tarnishing his reputation on the club by stubbornly hanging on to it. And United are trying to do, because they got burnt before with the Van, Moyes was never up to it. The club was too big for him. And Van Howe and Mourinho, if you, it annoys me at the moment, people talking about, possible replacements and Conte being mentioned because they've been down that road before. The football will be awful. He'll be there for two years and he'll push off. Conte would be an absolute disaster at United. And thinking about it, looking at it, I know who I'd I'd, I'd like in there and that's Luis Enrique. Nobody's mentioned him, but he did a fantastic job at Barcelona. He's doing a good job at Spain. Whether you get him away from Spain, I don't know. But if you're going to go for a for a change of manager, that's who I'd, I'd, I'd go for. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Because I'm sure Paul without uh, probably, well, not at our level so much, but the, the the egos they must have to deal with must be unbelievable. And like, I've, I've never played in the championships. So I can, but I'd imagine even, but I can't imagine going, I can't imagine Ole Gunnar Solskjaer having, telling that group of players off and them actually looking at him and caring. I could imagine them boys looking around the dressing room looking, thinking, it's like being told off by like your uncle. Do you know what I mean? And I just don't he think is, I don't he's think he's got back have... himself, Josh. He scored. He scored possibly the most important and yeah. significant goal in United's history. He, but football's a different I game he, now. Yeah, yeah. But he underestimates the reputation and the respect yeah, yeah, that he should be getting. Definitely. But I think but it's too. It's too late now, isn't it? He's, yeah. he's been yeah, doing yeah, it for that, too that, long. That he can't home. suddenly change who he is. You That's can't, the you problem, can't, isn't it? No. I don't think you can survive yeah. being a nice guy. Nice guy with that many egos because. You know, it's like in football. You give, you give the wrong people an inch, and they'll nick twenty, thirty yards, not a yard. And there's some huge, huge egos in that dressing room. And then they bring in the biggest ego of the lot in the summer. Which don't get me wrong, love Ronaldo to bits, but it's got to be his way. It must be very hard to manage. I feel very sorry yeah. for him. Yeah. Is it true that Ronaldo was mentioned? Um, Zidane saying if Ollie did go, he'd suggest Zidane. Is that true, or is that just one of them urban myths rolling around? I think that's an urban myth, but Zidane oh, it? would fit. It would fit what I was saying about somebody. But he who, can manage personalities, can he? Exactly. He's done it at Real Madrid. United are in a similar sort of Galactico situation to Madrid, and he, he clearly doesn't care about youth development or the under twenty threes or any of that part. Leave someone who's who's got the club at heart to do that, and let Zidane. Run the Harlem Globetrotters side, of and and I, and I would I would say he's probably the closest manager in terms of style of football. Like Real Madrid were quick, direct, yeah, got the ball wide, got crossing. Like I, I, they didn't like play useless passes, did they? They didn't just keep passing around the back. They were his Real Madrid teams get it. They pass forward and they run quick. There's and purpose, yeah, a purpose. I, I think I think that's the old-fashioned Man United way. I think that's what fans want to see, <clears> not the defensive football of like Van Gaal and just complete possession because. I don't think that's, no, that I don't was... think that's what Man United have been brought up on. So I, can't, I think the fans will never accept that. So okay, well let's um, let's let's park that there. I think um, for the to the dissection of the game, because it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks as well with the fixtures that United have got. What happens with the uh, managerial situation? But as they say on podcasts, at the time of recording, Ollie is still very much. Uh, employed by Manchester United but there was lots of other stuff that went on this weekend and 
not looking good for Norwich again, is it? This time they were beaten uh, just a seven this week uh, by Chelsea. Chelsea have had problems uh, in terms of injuries with no Werner and no uh, Lukaku, but um, no problem as uh, as it turns out. Um, Ad, did you find the um, scoreline eye-catching, or the fact that what Norwich have brought to the table this season not not at all that surprising? I think I walked away muttering under my breath, what chance have we got of catching Chelsea if they go and play Norwich every week? Um, that was that was my initial reaction to it. But, I mean, clearly Chelsea are playing well at the moment. And uh, little Tommy Tittlebaus, he's doing seems to be doing a good job there. So, uh, yeah. Um, but Norwich, I mean, uh, well, I mean, somebody wrote in the paper today that, that, that they have got the chance of, of uh, writing a new record as being the worst team ever after, you know, even... Worse than Derby County's team that that, uh, that failed in the in the uh, Premier. What League. was that? Eleven eleven points was it? Derby got that season. Oh, it was something stupid I like think. that, wasn't it? Yeah. The game against United in December is looking like a six pointer now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a prospect, eh? But I mean, I I don't I think to a certain degree that that uh, Daniel Farquhar. Um, he seems quite a pleasant sort of chap, and I think possibly he's suffering from the same thing as Ollie is that maybe he's not being hard enough on them. You know, I don't know, mate. But do you not think, like with Norwich, that it's a little bit like us in the Championship, really, when we go up, that Norwich can never compete with the top 10, really, financially. Mm. They haven't really spent any money in the summer. It's like two different sports in the Premier League. I mean, I'm not saying that Norwich are playing well. They definitely are not. They've picked, they've played most of the top teams now. So whether they have a little bit of a run now, but they are struggling. But I don't, and I watched Daniel's interview after the game on Saturday. And obviously you can see if how stressed he is and how, but he didn't look very stressed. It was like, well, we weren't going to win here today anyway. I mean, you didn't want to be that embarrassed, truth be told. They've got no pace along the back line, which is a problem. But that won't, see their season losing away at Chelsea although such a big defeat is a bit of a confidence kick isn't it that, that, that's the big problem um, but I, I, not, the teams that come up from the champ now are finding it like harder and harder I think and the teams that get relegated normally bounce straight back up and that's what oh, just, Nor- just on that point you've made the, yeah. you've made the comparison uh, with your boys at Rotherham yeah. um, from Farker's yeah. perspective um if I can touch on your situation with that, just okay. how difficult is it? Um, just how difficult is is it as the man in charge to keep motivated when you are sort of sort of have, having dropping down into the league, going up again, then you might come down again a season or two later. Was it difficult to uh, still have that that fire in the belly to keep doing it, or does it in the end get on top of you? For me personally, or the team, do you mean? Uh, you personally, just oh, thinking about personally. what Daniel Parker no, might yeah, be feeling. Yeah, no, it's, it's all right. I mean, I think Daniel's pretty sensible guy. He's like, well, I like to think I'm pretty sensible, but he'll be in the Premier League knowing what he's up against. You know, he'll be trying to sign players and they'll be asking for 70, 80 grand a week and he probably doesn't pay any more than 30. So he, he knows what squad he's got. He knows how difficult it is and he knows that if he gets a really good performance... Uh, and get three points, they've swum the channel. That's the truth of it. Now, he he will convince the lads that they can perform and they have to perform at their very best to pick up points. But I don't think he will beat himself up a great deal um, because there's no benefit. He has to 
come in the next day and try and pick the players up. But fundamentally, if, the, if it was a level playing field, then he could criticise himself, but it definitely is not. So in the, in, in the Championship, they probably win every week and he's got it sussed and feels good about himself. Obviously, he enjoys his weekends a bit more. But when they're in the Premier League, if it's the same group of players, they're always going to struggle. So I, I think what he's done at the football club at Norwich has been unbelievable. They play the best football, well, in the Championship, the best football they've ever played at Norwich. The fans are, are blessed by it, really. However, he's playing the same way again this year in the Premier League and it's just not having any effect. The, the players are all a lot older than they were, you know, obviously two years ago. And it's just going to be a long winter. It is. However, he could win the next game and give them a boost and there's that many teams struggling in the lower half of the Premier League. You, you know, you never know. But it is, it is difficult. There's no dispute in it. He gets in the car, losing 7-0 and drives home to his family. He probably is like me, sits with his hood up and doesn't speak to anyone for a bit. But there's also a part of his brain knowing that it isn't his fault, truth be told. He is part of the process, but there's a lot of other things that are against him. Paul, I can't Has imagine he got you going home and sitting boys? there not talking to your, your family after a, a game, win yeah. or lose. <laughs> I, 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 I struggle, mate. I know, I know how chatty I am. But sometimes I get it where I pull onto the drive and I'll sit in my car for 10, 15 minutes before I even come in the house because I just need to try and get rid of all the demons before I come in. Well, I do that, but it's, it's to summon up enough energy to get out of the bloody car. I'm not going in, in to <laughs> talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Paul Skulls. So, just want to uh, ask the question then on that. Um, Daniel Farker, is, is he in a bit of a, from his own personal position, has he got a comfortable situation in terms of he probably isn't under any real pressure that he's going to lose his job is that fair to say Josh um no, I think I think it's hard it must be really hard going to a game with a, almost an expectancy from I don't know if the fans are the fans don't seem to be don't seem to disrupt cause too much disruption do they so if, it must be really I don't know I think Paul's probably the better person to ask for that one um I don't know. It must be really, really strange for him to go into a game knowing that win, lose, win, lose or draw, the the outcome. Like like Paul says, a lot of people will not blame him. So usually the managers take all the flack. Whereas in that position, they're probably the fans will just say, oh, "I've got his hands tied behind his back," kind of thing. So I think I think it must be must be a, a very difficult, a different situation to what most managers find themselves in. Definitely. I guess it's similar to any manager, uh, Paul, that if he is still, um, if he gets to Christmas or the other side of Christmas and they've only got one or two wins, and it, I guess it doesn't matter who you are, the pressure then yeah. will ultimately start to build. Yeah, definitely. They won't They won't stay with him forever. If the performances are, are lacklustre and they don't look like they're trying for the manager, no one's, no one's bulletproof. But in the same way, no one wants to be the manager of a team that never wins. We're all in it to win. We're all in it for those magic moments where someone bends one in in the last minute of the game. So he'll definitely be hurting and he'll definitely be trying to change it to win. But the difference is that when you're at the bottom and you're losing every week, you have this like demon in your head think right I need to change the striker then we're not scoring but your second choice striker who's on the bench is on the bench because he's your second choice striker so you change the team and you manipulate it a little bit but you could actually be worse and they're, and they're the problems you have I think when you're at the bottom that you know maybe you, you stick with your team but then you get criticised for sticking with it and then 
if you're listening to what everyone else is saying, you, you just go insane. So, look, if they don't win a game sooner or later, the pressure will build. Norwich fans are pretty um, supportive of the manager. And, and like I thought that with Old Trafford yesterday when the fans clapped the team off, amazed me. But they're pretty supportive with the manager, but not to the extent of stupidity. They still want to see their team win and unfortunately the buck will always stop with the manager eventually so um, you know they've, they've stuck with him and I think they appreciate the difficulties however fans want to see their teams win at every level in every league Paul. the team that did roll the dice uh, was um, sorry Adrian, did you have one more point on that before yeah, I well, it, on? it wasn't about Norwich necessarily I was just going to ask Paul as a um, you know a football league manager uh, what he thought about the Newcastle situation in terms of the, you know, unlimited money that's going to arrive, and and also the, the more, um, you know, uh, human aspect of of the Saudi Arabian influence. Uh, well, you'd be surprised to know with my moral compass, I'm not that comfortable with it. Truth be told, um, and I don't, I don't really like the whole crassness of it. Anyway, that you can just completely buy success, um, and I think. It well, it just worries not worries me, but it's probably a good uh denominator of the society that well, as long as my team's winning, I don't mind how they've won, which is a bit of a concern for me. So, I, I think it's going to take I don't care how much money you throw at it, it's still going to take a lot of time before, uh, in my opinion, they're in the top four. You've got to try and get a top manager there to manage top egos to get them to go and play at Newcastle and not in London. Um, it's going to take an obscene amount of investment but it was last week the Premier League club sort of voted in something that stopped obscene investment and they're, they're limited now so I stopped doing a Man City yeah and I, I can see I don't know whether the people who invest lose interest in it and, and that's what worries me that they suddenly pull it out in three or four years and they're you know the whole thing collapses because they have the players are all signed long contracts I just I just can't see how it's going to... I mean, I know how it's going to work. They're going to throw obscene amount of money. But with that, if you get a top player who wants to go and play for Newcastle just because you're paying double more than anybody else, what sort of character are you getting? You're getting a... You know, I just don't know if you can build a team on that sort of personality. So I'm not well, that comfortable with it. You've mentioned there the um, the vacancy, which is now at Newcastle United. Again, I'll yeah. ask you the same question I asked you earlier. Are you prepared to uh, to uh, announce to us on local radio that you'll be interested in the Newcastle United? No, again, it, it's just too far, mate. There's a, there's a sort of geography that uh, I stick to, and it's sort of my village and about five miles outside. So, unfortunately, the fans yeah. would be very pleased to know I won't be. I mean, not my fans. I mean, their fans. My fans would probably be devastated. I haven't, I haven't gone for it. But uh, uh, Newcastle's. Just a yeah, quick point, Paul. Um, on, on contracts <laughs> and such like, and you got Steve Bruce getting paid off £8 million, pound, they said in the press. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, if Ollie gets the sack, he's going to get a, 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 a huge amount of money, possibly the same way with Daniel Farker. What, how does it work, yeah. from, purely from a technical point of view? If if you you know, if... Uh, well, well, what happens is with most contracts, uh, with managerial contracts, I'm led to believe that I'm not saying this is what happens in the super leagues, but in normal people, like I signed a, a three year contract, then I signed an extension new contract. But if I was to get sacked um, in the first two years of my three year tenure, I would get one year's wages. 
However, if I go into my third year and I've got nine months left, so I only get nine months wages. So um, that's how it is. So when people say, oh, there's £28 million left on his contract or something, he won't get £28 million. It'll be Most contracts have just a one-year severancing. So the, the eight, supposed £8 million for Steve Bruce, you think that's a separate arrangement or is it because it's the Premier League? Well, that might have been his uh, annual income. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, in fairness, yeah, yeah, yeah. most, man- most managers... Um, what would that work out as? I goodness me, I'm trying to do simple maths here, but I don't know whether it is 150 grand, 150 grand a week or something. I don't know. But most managers, especially top level, they don't have that many players who earn more than them. Yeah. So the Premier League is is uh, another level, isn't it? With all his bonuses and stay up money, you don't know we didn't have a three million pound stay up money or something like that. So that's probably where the figure eight million. I I know it's been reported that, but. I, I would have thought it would be something um, along them lines. I mean, mm. you'd be surprised to know mine would be a little bit less, I think. I'd just have to check the small print. And what about the championship? Would Dan, Daniel Farker be in a, in a similar position or not? No, I wouldn't have thought so, no. He's, I mean, I can't speak for him, and I don't know Norwich's payment structure, but he, he's probably would be £2 million, I don't know. Mm. Uh, but £2 million to Norwich is like £8 million to Newcastle, and it? it's all relative. Mm. Like The size of the club is the, is the size of the wallet, really. Yeah, yeah. Next. Fair point. Fair Next, point. Um, just, just whilst we're touching on Newcastle then, um, they did... Um, well, first of all, let's talk about the result against Crystal Palace. I only talk about it quickly because I just wanted to talk about the uh, Callum Wilson goal. I don't know if any of you saw it, but uh, it was a thing of beauty and improvisation. and a bit special. Uh, it, it was a real uh, kind of statement of what we've been talking about on this show, that he's a real key part to them staying up, isn't he, Rick? Absolutely. You can tell the difference in a Newcastle side with him in it and one without him in it and it's vital for them that he stays fit and let's hope he doesn't because the way their fans treated Steve Bruce a United legend and also their set they got such an annoying sense of entitlement the Geordies I, I would to quote a Geordie I would love it if they went down because <laughs> it would put the like, it would really mess up their whole great plan and it would just show I mean it's like you can't abuse the game and the game bites back and it says you're not doing it right, so therefore we're going to make it harder for you. It's karma. No team deserves to get relegated more than Newcastle this season. I won't touch on who we think um, the next Newcastle manager is going to be because we spent the last Daniel two Parker. Uh, Daniel podcasts Parker. thinking about it. got a team out of the championship. <laughs> that could be a job for him. One one team that did um, roll the dice was uh, is Watford in a similar kind of position to Norwich, you could say. But they've kind of made a um, a career over the last ten years of chopping and changing their manager, and it seems to have worked for them. But uh, what a turnaround at Goodison Goodison Park! And Josh, does this mean that uh, Ranieri is on for Watford winning the Premier League next season? I think it definitely helps when you have an established manager in the pre- from the Premier League, and he's been successful. So he obviously takes to know how to win, uh, take, knows what it takes to win in the Premier League. But I don't I think they're a long way off winning it. I think the stars will have to align for him for to get that definitely. But um, I think it's a great appointment for him definitely in the long run as well. I think it's only going to cement their place as as a as a top one of the better teams in the Premier League. AD, do you think they've got a good chance of uh, staying up now they've decided to roll the dice? 
Um, sorry, who are we talking about? I drifted off then. <laughs> Watford. <laughs> Watford. Oh, Watford, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, no. no, because I, I don't think that uh, Cla- uh, Claudio Ranieri will be able to maintain that sort of level, A. Eh? Uh, it was obviously a bit of a reaction to the game where they got hammered before. So I, I don't see... But but apart from that, I don't think the the owners of Watford would, would uh, employ a manager uh, long enough to be able to go and win the league, quite honestly. I can't see it. I mean, you know, then <laughs> it might be... That, that might be part of the financial package that they... You know, they they don't give a very big one because they know, or, or they might offer a big one if you win the league, but they know you're going to get the sack beforehand, so it doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> so I can't see I can't see Watford. Um, now nah, they'll just be an also around, won't they? Well, I think Watford uh, are quite an athletic team. Uh, I they they struggled in their first game because I don't think Ranieri had long enough to work with them, and it was against Liverpool, I think. Um, yeah, well, but then against Everton, yeah. who are obviously a very well coached team by everyone away from home as well. And they had uh, Josh King played, who scored a hat trick, who was virtually unplayable. And the thing is, with them teams, the Watfords and the, and the Norwiches and the Southamptons say they need their best players fit because they haven't got the strength and depth or quality of the top four teams. So if Watford can keep their attacking players like Saar and that fit, I think they'll take quite a lot of points off a lot of lesser teams. They won't compete with uh, tactically or uh, technically with the top teams, but the middle table teams, the lower teams, I think they will pick up a lot of points. Um, and I, I think they'll um, I think they'll pull away from their position at the moment. Right, better in the bookies up now. Yeah. Get a bet on, mate. They'll finish... 12th <laughs> save, save you money save you money 15 we will we will um go back to this particular recording of the podcast um when the season's over and um and see how we got on there <laughs> well if adrian's not on here and he's in like monaco or something you know that he's like bet his life savings on it yeah that'll be the day <laughs> that'll be the day mate Erin uh, doors might have something to say about that i think uh, definitely well well, we're not adverse to making big sweeping statements on this podcast, are we, Rick Hyatt? No. Would you what, like to just one? remind the remind <laughs> the listeners who you said is going to who's going down? Oh, Leeds, Leeds are going down. There you go. You still stand by that, Norwich, that statement? Norwich, they got a last yeah, minute Norwich, equaliser Norwich, this Leeds weekend. Newcastle. Norwich Leeds and Newcastle. Thank you very much. That do me. <laughs> There you go. I'll stick with it. You could keep reminding me every single week, but they're still one <laughs> yeah, from I'm, bottom. They're only four from bottom. I will now. keep reminding you, just so um, I don't forget and have to keep on fishing out the podcast and where you said it first of all. So uh, <laughs> we always just like to touch base on that and just ensure that your um, views haven't changed. I want to touch on um, the blue side of Manchester, I'm afraid. 4-1 win over Brighton. Brighton have started... They've started really well this season, Brighton, but Manchester City pulled away inside that first half. Um, Josh, where are they in terms of their their ambitions this season? Is it a case of them, Chelsea and Liverpool, going toe-to-toe until the end of the season? Yeah, I think... I definitely think so. I think it's going to be quite an exciting end of the last few months, to be honest, after Christmas when it gets going. I I just can't see anyone else... On their on their level, to be honest, I think the three the three big teams 
City, Liverpool and, and Chelsea just look so far ahead of the rest this year. I can't see anyone else competing with them. So it's going to be really interesting. It is. Um, I'd hate to have to call it. <laughs> Don't worry. We, I won't ask you. In fact, yeah, I will ask you to call it because we make sweeping statements on this podcast, apparently. Who's going to win it? Chelsea. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> see how right you are come the end of the season. Um, Paul, how good is Phil Foden right now? Yeah, very good. Uh, I've liked. Well, everyone's liked him for ages, and he's had to wait his time to put himself in the team or get picked every week. And he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet. So. Uh, yeah, very good. I just like the, how hard he works on and off the ball. He's probably got one of the best touches in the Premier League and can nick a goal. So uh, I'm surprised he didn't play more in the Euros, uh, which disappointed me, truth be told. But uh, yeah, really good. And I thought they were excellent against Brighton, but I don't think Brighton's position in the league is a, a real one. I don't think they've played many great teams so far this season. So I don't think Brighton will finish fifth, that is for sure. But I think Man City... Uh, I just don't. I just can't see anyone stopping them this year. I, I fancy Chelsea early season, but if they don't keep Lukaku fit, um, although they managed to score seven without him, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think Man City uh, will just have too much. A lot's been said about um, them going for for a striker this season. They were obviously linked with Harry Kane. That didn't happen. Then there was talk of possibly trying to sort of nick Lewandowski right at the end of the transfer window. That didn't happen. Um, there was talk as well of Raheem Sterling possibly playing in that role, but the talk now seems to be that Raheem Sterling seems to be on his way out of the club. Rick, are you surprised by that at all? Uh, only in the sense that they've got that many good players. If he wants game time, he's going to have to go somewhere that will facilitate it. And saying earlier on about Salah and how amazing Salah is, I think the difference between... Liverpool and Man City is Man City have got five or six most sellers and that's it's it's painful to see and it is such a it's a horrible uh, state of the game that finances have dictated this this way but they're looking unstoppable they'll mess it up in Europe which is always reassuring but um, <laughs> as far as domestically domestically you can't look further than City City, City are going to do it by distance the battle will be between Liverpool and Chelsea for uh, the second place. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> sure. You watch more football than me, Rick, mate. I don't get a chance. Yeah, you're too busy playing it, you show. <laughs> i got to watch it. <laughs> AD, would you agree with Rick's assessment there on who you think will go the distance? Um, yeah, I think it will. Um, I think there are some a few dark horses about. One in particular plays at Old Trafford, but um, we won't go there for that. But... Um, yeah, no, I, I That's think... a very dark horse, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> you mean the away horse? <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I'd have to say, I think uh, I agree with Josh. I think Josh will win it. Um, I think they've got a, a, a very astute manager who seems to know what he's doing. Um, and, yeah. it, you know, City have won it, what, three or four times over the last so many years anyway. Um 
And yeah, okay, Liverpool playing well at the moment, but they've got to keep it up all season. And City seem to have the knack of being able to keep it up all season. And, you know, you, you get very few bad games from Manchester City these days. So uh, I think they'll be second. And I, I think Chelsea will just do it. But we'll see. I think, we're, I think we've touched on it. We've touched on it a bit in this podcast. And AD, you've mentioned it, Rick, as well, that I think from a Liverpool perspective, the African Cup of Nations is going to be a big problem for them. I know Mane uh, wasn't in the starting lineup against um, Man- uh, Manchester United and Jota did the business, but I still would say Mane's first choice and obviously losing Salah if um, he goes as well. That is going to be a big problem. If Salah goes, do you think there's a possibility that Egypt might not take him? What time to freeze? <laughs> what a face at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hilda, you've frozen. He looks like he's on the toilet. <laughs> ah, he's there moved. He moved. Oh, he's back. Are you oh, with hey, us I again? Froze you... there. Did you, did you answer my question? <laughs> no, he asked one back. Oh, I missed that. Sorry, I, I froze. I did a Josh from last week. Yeah, just keep avoiding the questions. Go <laughs> on, ask it again. Ask your question again, Rick. I can't remember what was my question. Yeah, whether whether Salah would stay oh, or I've not. Got, I've forgotten what it was. I was I was so mesmerised by watching a frozen builder that I've actually forgotten what the question I asked him was. Whether Salah would Is stay. It my eyes. Salah, Salah. Got it. Mm. Will he stay? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because you said if he goes, if he goes to the African Cup of Nations, do you think there's a possibility that Egypt won't take him then? Well, I'm 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 not sure really how the African Cup of Nations worked. Has, has all the teams that are going to be playing already qualified? So do we know who what teams are actually going to be there? I'm not sure about Egypt's. You know, I'm not I'm not huge on uh, uh, the international football region of Egypt, but um, I imagine they're one of the better teams um, in Africa. So presumably they're going to be um, in and amongst it. But I was listening to a Liverpool podcast this morning because. Believe it or not, other podcasts are available, but make sure that you, in particular, listen to this one on Three Valleys Radio. But um, Liverpool's Mane, Cater and Salah could miss up to as many as nine games if those teams uh, go all the way. And um, that's a lot of games. games. I think they should extend the tournament. I think it should last until mid-April. I think that would be a (laughs) tremendous idea. Game a week. Yeah, why not? Because <laughs> they are precious. Two games in a week is too much to ask. Spread it out. <laughs> Get recovery yeah, yeah, exactly. time. They yeah, are the best of, treatment yeah. in the world. <laughs> I think it's the future. It's definitely the future. Well, we'll see, won't we? I mean, like I touched on with the, um, with the Manchester United game, obviously Jota came in Um played well it, what, what, what I did take away from that game in particular that a lot of people were talking about Liverpool's squad depth and the fact that they don't have as much as say a, a Chelsea Manchester City but looking in that that midfield area they got a lot of injuries and Milner came off Cater came off but they were still able to put players in that position um, Jones came in Oxlade Chamberlain came in that might not necessarily be at the same level, but they've still got players in there that, you know, nine times out of ten, they'll still be getting into most Premier League sides, certainly up towards the, the top end of the of the Premier League. Do you think their squad's a lot stronger than people 
as suggesting, Paul? Um, I don't know if it's stronger. I, I, I quite like small squads. So I just think it's easier to keep the, the group together. So if you have 25 like potential starters, you think they should play every game, every week and all that, and you can only pick 18, you, you can have some toxic... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the word, but it can be a bit toxic. It's probably the nicest way to put it. Um, whereas with Liverpool, I just think they've got a smaller group. Uh, they have a sort of... It feels like to me, and it could be wrong, a bit of a family feel to it. It's, it's not like Liverpool isn't the, you know, I don't think has the infrastructure of a, a Man United or a Chelsea. I don't think they have like 50 physios or anything crazy like that. But I just think that managing a smaller squad uh, and people all feeling part of it might produce better performances possibly. So that's just my view. So we've only got um, a couple of minutes left. So Paul, because you're our... Um, esteemed guest um, this like evening. No offence, Rick. No offence, Josh. Your old hats now at this. Um, just quickly wanted to touch on um, how your season's going. I think you're fifth at the moment. Nice 3-0 win um, over the weekend. Um, how have yep. you found the season so far? And um, is promotion the goal again? Uh, hopefully, I mean we've had we've we've been really good this season. So we've only had one bad performance at home, and apart from that, the games we drew, we should have won comfortably. We had enough like twenty odd attempts on goal, so I think we're top of virtually all the stats in our league. So we're really pleased. It's going really well. There's obviously pressure when we play at home, which we have to address. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, we'll, we'll go for promotion. That's what the owner wants. That's what all the players want. They all want to play in the highest level they can. So we try and drive standards as much as we can. And, you know, hopefully uh, our form continues. We haven't lost for about seven or eight, I don't think. So we're in a good place. But that can change in a heartbeat with one bad performance or an injury. Like tomorrow night, we've got um, uh, Papa John's game against Man City. It won't be for people who listen to this, but this uh, on Tuesday night, we've got a Papa John's game. And you've got to try and pick a team that gives other people a chance, but not tire anyone out for the home game against Sunderland. So... Um, there's a long way to go. We're not even a third of the way through the season, but we have had a, a positive start, which is nice. Well, from all of us here at Three Valleys, we wish you all the luck in the world for the rest of the season and hope that you can join us at some point um, to get your hat-trick ball. But uh, for now, that's oh, all, can't wait. all we've got time for. Um, thanks so much for listening, as always. Um, Rick, thanks for uh, managing to endure this one. Same with you, AD. Thank you, Hilda, and thanks, always Paul, for joining us, mate. Appreciate it. No worries, enjoyed and it as always. As well. No, thank you. Thanks for having me, lads. Oh, well, you're coming again. That's all we've got time That's for. That's on the cards, mate. <laughs> <laughs> all the best for your season, Josh. Thanks, mate. Yeah, and you. Take care. Good to hear from you, mate. All the best. Bye-bye. Hey, and Josh, right. three points tomorrow, mate. Yeah, we need them, mate, don't we? We definitely mm. need them. Yeah. Well, let's officially sign it off then and say that you've been listening to football. Bloody hell. Yeah.